0: On this episode of The Big Show, we'll take time to say goodbye to a friend as the acting community loses another great one. We'll check the news to see what pricks our ears, and then we have a good friend, Lanita Cook, who will join the show to discuss the slate of Christmas movies, the state of Christmas movies, and where it's going from here, which will lead to a couple of holiday-related reviews, Dashing Through the Snow, Candy King Lane, and Wonka. All today on this episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Welcome to the show and thank you for taking time out to join me on this special episode of Keeping It Real. I'm Charles Kirkman, I'm your host for the day, and uh, let's get into some stuff. First of all, I want to say congratulations to Tim Gordon, who's not here, uh, which is cool. He's out on the West Coast doing his own thing, but I, I want to, if he were here, i I probably wouldn't do this but since he isn't I'll I'll go ahead and congratulate him on being promoted to the board of the Film Festival Alliance which is a, a group of, uh, of of film festival uh, directors and people who are in the festival world and uh they've recognized what Tim has been doing and they've they said that he's you know a good fit for the board of the Alliance. Now it's a good thing for, uh, for me because now I have access to the film festival Alliance that I didn't uh, at, at a level that I didn't before. And so uh, as far as when, you know, our, our light real film festival rolls around in a couple of months, you, you might be seeing some things that are the fruit of his labors there. So um it's a big thing. Congratulations to him, and I and I'm super pumped about him being part of that. And that, of course, that is not the reason why he's not here. But you know, for whatever reason he can't be here with us. I don't care because it's my show now. So anyway, um, second thing is, um, I'm a member of a number of uh, critics' associations. I'm I'm part of the Black Reel Awards, part of the uh, WAFCA um the Washington DC Area Film Critics Association um and I'm, of course I'm part of the Critics Choice Awards so uh I I get at this point of the year it's very um Busy is what I could uh, I'll say the best word is busy. Lots of comings and goings. And that's probably one of the reasons why you haven't seen me like in the studio, because I've been going to this junket and that junket, this place and that place. And so I'm just grateful to be here. But also the great thing about it is two of those. Organizations, critics organizations, have decided to list. Well, one has listed not only their nominees but the winners of their awards for the year, and the other one has just announced their nominees. When and as more is coming later, so uh, we'll start with WAFCA, the Washington Area Film Critics Association, who who have come out and made their uh, not only their nominations but their awards. And uh if if you want to check them out in full, you can go to the uh, WAFCA site, wafka.org. Uh, WAFCA.org. But you know, I just want to highlight a few things that that happened. Um being, you know, I'm you know I'm happy of what they've done for the most part. But you know, Oppenheimer uh received most of the nominations, a lot of nominations. Uh, but and, but they only won like a couple things. So <laughs> it, it's really good for them. They they uh, they they were edged out in the best feature film race by one of my favorite films of the year, which is American fiction. So, yes, Wafka did have an opportunity to see American fiction and they voted that they love that film and uh surprisingly it beat out Oppenheimer for the best feature. However, Oppenheimer did grab like six awards of their own, so you know, they 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 did respectably well. But uh it, it was just a big surprise that out of all the the uh nominations that they got that they only got that they didn't get the best feature. Which have I was happy about anyway. So um the second-largest nominee, Oppenheimer had the most nominations. The second one, one was Barbie, which um, only had one win from WAFGA, and that was for the Best Production Design. I, and, you know, I don't have a problem with that either, but, you know, a lot of people love the Barbie film, and it was the box office draw of the year, and it just, you know, it, it, it did Best Production Design. Congratulations. And then, uh, but the biggest surprise to me was in the original screenplay category. A lot of people, a lot of organizations around the nation have been uh, deeming uh, the holdovers, the Paul Giamatti, Alexander Payne film, as one of the best films of the year. It's been best screenplay and all that kind of stuff. And they had seven Wafka nominations, but they didn't come away with the Uh, one for the best original screenplay which was received by one of my, another one of my favorite movies of the year which was Celine Song's Past Lives Um, Past Lives is, if you haven't heard of it it's a a romantic drama that uh, set with a a girl getting back together with her um, boyfriend, her young boyfriend, when they were young they were boyfriend and girlfriend but now she's moved on and moved to another land because they were in Korea and now she's married and he comes to visit her and he still loves her and she kind of still loves him. And, you know, it's kind of one of those one what, what if things, what if we had gotten together? It's a beautiful uh, romantic story. And uh, again, I really enjoyed that film. So, um, if Again, if you want to check out the WAFCA Awards, you can go to the WAFCA site, WAFCA.org, I believe it is. Yeah. And check out all the nominees and the winners for the 22nd Annual WAFCA Awards. Now, the other one is the Black Reel Awards. And you know, that's that one is near and dear to both Tim and my heart. And today, just today, uh, the 14th, Thursday of 14th, that's when we tape the show. We we announced the nominees for the the uh, Black Real Awards uh, that are coming in January. So it isn't about I mean we didn't announce who won won of course because that's still coming. But if you go to either uh, Black Real Awards TV or Black or Facebook, go to the Black Real Awards. You can see the list of all the nominees for uh, Black Real Awards this year. And um, let me just say this, the awards this year are very purple. <laughs> um, and that the color purple really dominated a, a lot of the nominations this year, uh, 19 nominations and in, in, to be exact for the color purple across a slew of categories. And of course they were more than double the uh, next closest film, I think, was Rustin. I think Rustin had ten, maybe ten, or something like that. So uh, I, it was a great set of nominations for The Color Purple. I am sure Oprah Winfrey and everyone over there are happy about it. Uh, but, but you know, nominations don't always equal wins. So we'll see what happens come uh, January, uh, January the sixteenth, tw- the 16th, January sixteenth, when they will actually take the time and uh tell you who won now um again th- this this one is kind of near and dear to my heart because I, I well I work for WAFCA too but uh I, I work for the Black Real Awards and so you know I'm kind of on the inside where I can see who does what and you know I write the press releases and you know so all that stuff so I'm happy that you know, The Color Purple did well, but there were a, a couple of other things that were outstanding as well. First of all, uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, you know, great action films, uh, animated film. It was the first time ever this year that uh, animated film received a nominations for outstanding editing and outstanding production design which is uh, a big deal for an animated film because, you know, they're going up against, you know, non-animated films. People don't really consider how, how much work goes into a animated film. And so obviously the Black Reel Awards, they did, and they uh, recognized Spider-Man for that. And, you know, me being a, a blurred, I, a lot of, you know, a black nerd, you know, I love all the comic book and stuff, and that's all the stuff that, you know, somebody else doesn't really care about. Um, that was near and dear to my heart to see that Spider-Man was getting the love that it, that it got from the Black Reel Awards, which means people really love that film, so. And where would I be without recognizing Queen Bee? Queen Bee, uh, her, her film Renaissance, uh, was the first documentary ever to be nominated for also outstanding production and outstanding costume design. And Beyonce became the first person to be nominated in domi- to, to, I'm sorry to be nominated in the documentary category, the musical category, and professional categories all in the same year. So, you know, Beyonce did her thing, uh, and Black real loves Black real has real love. For Beyonce, so congratulations to her. Congratulations to Spider Man. Congratulations to the color purple, and we will see what happens in a couple in about a month. So, um, if, if you check out my Facebook account, you'll you'll see that I got the opportunity to speak with all the people with the color purple, all the people at Spider Man. So, uh, check that out if you it, when you get a chance. So, um, now. Just to change speed a little bit, um, we had a big loss um this week, and that is um uh, Andre Brower. Andre Brower was a an actor who, um I, I guess the best way to say it is that he was just intelligently. Uh, acting everything that he did i mean and and there's a nexus of films and uh, i think where all the great ones come together and brower was on one of those nexus films being glory way back in the day and uh, russell williams who has been on the show he he got one of his oscars for uh work doing the sound work on that film you know um And you can go down the list of all the actors who are in that film. And Andre Brower was in that film, played a a supporting role. But, you know, everyone was really supporting to, you know, the stars of that film. But most people would recognize him or recognize him for being Frank Pimbleton on the show Homicide, which was on NBC for uh, several years. I think they I think they ended the show right around a hundred a little over a hundred episodes which you know made it possible for it to be syndicated and um he he was a force on that show that um people just every time they saw him there was just this intelligent presence where he was he was the, often the moral center of whatever happened on the show. I mean, people trusted and relied on him. He was strong and he was powerful. And then uh, a few years later after the show wrapped and he started up another show, he kind of played it like the same... He picked up another character that was kind of similar but kind of different in the same way when he played a Detective a Captain Raymond Holt on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I mean, this was... a com- comedy and it gave us an opportunity to see that same seriousness that he had in homicide, but he also became funny. And so we got to see a different side of him. And, and, and over the course of his year, he won primetime Emmy awards and a couple of golden golden globe awards. Um, He was in a number of uh, uh, productions like uh, Shakespeare in the park, doing much to do about nothing. Coriolanus, 12th night hamlet as you like it um so he's an he was an accomplished actor uh, able to do a lot of things and we lost him this week uh, as he passed away from now what is now being reported as cuz it was previously said he had a serious illness and i guess lung cancer is a serious illness but that's what uh what what really took uh, him away from us so I just want to send my my love and my um, uh, respect to the family. Um, Andre Brower is going to be missed because uh, he was a talent. So uh, thanks, brother. Rest in power. And we will see you on the other side. All right. Now, with all that having been said, um, one last thing before we turn to our special guest for the for the uh, show. Um, Tim Gordon and I walk in circles that uh, most people don't know about. And so sometimes we hear things that we, we, we can't believe or just seem incredible. But And one of those things came to light this week in the city of Washington, DC. And that was the proposed move of the Washington uh, basketball and, and, and uh, hockey teams to, Virginia, um, like I said, we you know we we have ends. We have talk. We talk to people, and so when it was mentioned to us that this was a possibility, we were like, "Nah, it's not going to happen. There's no way that that would happen. No, no way that that we would allow that. That the city would allow that to happen, right?" And so, um, come, we just had a press conference yesterday where Virginia is announcing that their plans for this new Washington uh, sports complex. And that everybody was going to be all those two franchises are going to be moving, would be moving to Virginia. Now, nothing is final yet. And and uh, the mayor has come out and offered a, made a counter offer to keep the, the Washington team monumental sports in DC. So, uh, so why am I mentioning this on, on keeping it real? Because, you know, the, I'm old enough to know what happened the last time the the uh, these franchises moved when they were located in Maryland. They moved into DC. Um, that area in Maryland, even to this day, I don't think has ever re- recovered from the absence of the Capitol center. And so, I mean, they've they've tried and they've been been trying to revitalize that area. And even to this day, we have a hospital standing on the grounds where it used to be a sports complex. Um, so this, I'm saying this because DC is important to us here in the show and everything in the city, that complex, if that moves there's going to be a hole left in the city that, Just will not be filled. Now they talked about how they'll use the arena for family events and concerts and things of that nature. But um, there is no way. and, And that's the same thing that happened with the Capitol Center decades ago, that they would say, oh, well, we'll just continue to program it. But the programming just won't sustain itself. And then the whole area will suffer. And then how that affects me is because there's a movie theater there. There's uh Chinatown that's right there. And it is reasonably close to where we do our, our films festival, the light reel film festival. So um, I am worried and, and I, and I pray that things will get to be worked out somehow and keep monumental sports in D.C. Um, And I hear a lot of people say, oh, they're the Washington uh, basketball team. Why would they play in Virginia? Uh, Well, we do have a football team that plays outside the city. Um, There are lots of other teams that play outside their city. Now, this is different for basketball, I think, because I've seen basketball and and hockey are pretty much usually downtown in the cities where they play and where they are are located. So hopefully, D.C. will continue and figure out this whole thing and and keep keep the monumental sports complex together in, inside the city. So that's just my two cents on the whole thing, and we'll see what happens. So those of you who are in D.C., you feel me. Those of you who are outside the area – I'm trying to bring you in, let you know what's happening here with us. All right. Okay, so having said all of that, um I'm I'm ready to bring our guest on the show. We have we have a a a woman who's been uh, you know, I, I like to say she's a good friend of the show. She's a film lover. She's been involved in um I don't know. She's got shows on in in Kansas City, Portland, and some other places, she's uh, <laughs> a, a, a film critic, a film lover. She's a theater lover, a television lover. She she contributes to KCTV Channel Five uh, in Northwest Portland, like I said, or Iowa. She's a member, like me, of the Critics Choice Association. She's also a part of the Alliance of Women in Film Journalists, and, and, of course, the Black Real Awards. She's a great friend, and I love having her on the show. Let's uh, give it up for Lanita Cook. Lanita, are you there? I am here. Listen to that intro.
1: Thank you so much, Charles.
0: <laughs> well, I, you know, it's always my pleasure to have you with us because you, you, have, you have an insight that I believe is just spectacular, so um, the reason I, I brought you on and I kind of prepped you because we have a couple of mo- Christmas movies coming out and dashing through the snow, which is on one streaming service and Candy Cane Lane, that's on another th- streaming service. But, and people talk about, oh, these are going to be the next Christmas classics. And, and I'm like, uh, really? Are they, are they really? Do we <laughs> have Christmas classics anymore? I, I came across an article in Variety lamenting the fact that the way entertainment is set up nowadays, we just cannot create the same thing like we did for uh uh the, the Christmas story or the or uh the elf or any of those things like that and so i I wanna because i I value your opinion, I think you're wise on many subjects. Can you talk to what the state of not just the Christmas classic but even maybe even the state of the black Christmas classic? Mm. So, yeah, you know, I'm I'm bringing you in, and I'm I'm probing to see how deep how deep Anita Cook can be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, first, thank you so much for having me on the show. I always love being with you guys, uh, and I want to say you are doing an outstanding job holding the reins on on your own today. So, thank you again for having me. Well,
0: thank um, you. It's not my first rodeo, so you know I'm.
1: I'm <laughs> You're holding it down. You know how to hold it down. Um, So the state of Christmas movies, I think, is kind of goes along with the state of just about everything. When we talk about Christmas movies, it brings to mind this idea we have about the A-list, where we ask the same question, is there such thing as an A-list star? And the thing that made us love stars and create A-list actors and the Will Smiths and the the Arnold Schwarzeneggers um, was kind of the same thing that made us love Christmas movies that turned movies into classics. And that is, first and foremost, um, the exclusive nature of it, how elite and aspirational these things can be. Back in the day, we got Christmas movies at Christmas time. Yeah. Right. Uh n- nowadays, you can hop on, you know, you have Hallmark doing Christmas in July. Um, you can hop on any streamer and see any movie at any time of the year. And so I think our access, um, like with most things, has really changed um, the way we feel, our sentiment about those things. Um, but then another thing about the movies themselves, when we think about Frank Capra, um, we're talking about visionary storytellers who are setting their stories during Christmas time. Who are using our love for Christmas and the things that we feel at Christmas time—the um, the hard feelings and the wondrous feelings—they're using those feelings to imbue their story. But they put story first, and I think what we do now is put genre first. Mm-hmm. And so um, we are looking at a Christmas film factory, um, right. particularly when we think about the Christmas
0: romance. You- <laughs> oh, <hi.
1: laughs> and I will devour me a cookie cutter Christmas romance now. <laughs> oh yeah, it's not, it's,
0: not, it's not unknown to have the Hallmark Channel on in the Kirkland house.
1: <laughs> That's right. And, and throw a prince in there, oh, it's on. <laughs> I will watch your entire marathon. But it is a marathon. It is cookie cutter. It is a little bit paint by numbers. Um, and, and then you have filmmakers wanting to toy with the genre. So now you have Violent Night, your Christmas murder movie. You've got your slasher Christmas movie. And so instead of centering story like we used to, and I think this is kind of in general, um, we are centering gimmicks and shenanigans and punchlines and genre yeah
0: yeah yeah uh, un- unfortunately um i happen to love violent night <laughs> which came out last year yes <laughs> and and so because this is actually santa claus kicking but i remember back there was a there was a movie santa claus versus the martians it came from way way back way way back that's probably uh, older than many of us want to acknowledge. But um I enjoy seeing this was Santa Claus doing it. Not not like in Die Hard where you have Bruce Willis kicking a whole butt, a whole bunch of butt on Christmas holidays, but this was actually Santa. So I felt like it was a little more honestly a Christmas movie than than any than any other others that use the, the 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 time of the season as a backdrop. For well,
1: story. I love those movies like Die Hard or Trading Places where Christmas is in the background but the story is something completely else. Your your heist movie or whatever. Um and I thought Violent Night had a lot of potential to be brilliant, but there were some things and and it needed to be tightened in some areas. The pacing was a little bit off for me, but it, it was one of those movies when I saw the trailer, I said, I am all the way in. It it, it was potentially mind-blowing, mm-hmm. and for me, it was cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Was, it had the ability to be something special, and it was just, it's just okay. It's just another one of those th- guilty pleasures instead of like a, a classic that it should be
1: yes and and i think when we think about classics we're thinking of like it's a wonderful life we're thinking of a christmas story certainly the original christmas carol um and then we think about the modern classics like you said Elf for home alone but it, it does have me thinking when i think about genre it also has me it has me thinking about um subgroups and when we create christmas content around subgroups and the ensemble black christmas movie um and what really got me first thinking about is um was lethal weapon, which was also set at Christmas time, right yeah. yeah and and I recognize that um a lot of times when you had a black action star, it had to be a two-hander right. um, Eddie Murphy was always paired with a, a white counterpart um to become or, a star. Judge
0: Reinhold or whomever yeah mm-hmm.
1: exactly and so, this is the main difference that made me started thinking about the difference in how we produce stories for different demographics. And so, when I think about the, you know, the standard black Christmas movie, it's definitely an ensemble. We definitely have to have a, a musician um, uh, in, in gotta the ensemble.
0: A song, you got to do a dance, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but. You know, it always has to, you know, be around a family table, Um, something like, um, what is it, Best Man Christmas? Um, Also, We just just
0: showed this Christmas at uh, the last Night Real Film Series, which is another one of those ensemble Christmas films where, you know, everybody has to get together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, that's the one with Idris Elba. So, you know, that one might be set apart a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no. And so this is, I think our standard black Christmas movie, even the Medea Christmas movie, you know? And so this is um, where we kind of, Um, contextualize the aesthetics of Blackness where we are a communal people, where we um, come together around the table, where we sing and dance, where we and these are things that we can identify ourselves and we can identify our families um, at Christmas time for good or, or bad regardless of how you feel about it. I do think it's a way that we're able to signify who we are through um, the Christmas Story, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: And and, I, and you know what I have appreciated is um, a couple of years back we had Jingle Jangle, which came out on Netflix. Yes, and that was an actual departure from that that stereotype where it had to be the family thing. Um, I mean, family is still a theme, but it isn't like this ensemble cast like you like you're used to. And then the two films that we we maybe talk about a little later, being Candy Cane Lane and Dashing Through the Snows. Again, these aren't perfect Christmas movies. They're not. I, I wouldn't have to say that they're classic by any nature, but I do appreciate the fact that they've kind of broken from that mold that you that you're talking about. How we always have to have. The family get together, sitting at a table, and you know it's all. Some you got everybody has their little, and and I just like to think of them as the black plays that they just put decided to put on film, and and so you know I'm glad I I'm glad that we're breaking the mold and that we're trying some new things and going into different areas. I I just need the execution to be just, it's
1: just a little tighter. <laughs> I mean, and I was going to talk about Jingle Jangle as well. It was I think it is. Still uh, quite revolutionary in its approach to mm-hmm. the Christmas story in general because, you know, when we are talking about Christmas, when are we also talking about science?
0: Right.
1: And, you know, and so that in and of itself was like, what? Quantum physics, what's happening right now? It was like so cool. <laughs> and, and that's one of those movies that we come back to because this was the thing about the Christmas classic we got it once a year, but we came back to it every year. year. We were faithful. Jingle Jangle is one of those movies that me and my kids, we watch every year together. We don't watch it throughout the year, but we say, hey, you want to put on Jingle Jangle? And, And that's, and I think it is a testament to the story because it does center, like you said, it's not just us coming around the table and having a lot of fun, which is always great. Having a good time, it's always great. But this is a story of a father who has lost something in his heart Mm -hmm. and he, and he's unable to give his heart to his family in the way that he needs to, um, in order to be who, he's meant to be until uh, his granddaughter comes and rekindles right <laughs> and so I mean and and so this is story it, it has great thematic questions tied to it and it, it, in ways that a lot of the other Christmas movies particularly coming out of the film factory yeah. um, just aren't providing today so
0: and I think I I also every time I see it I think about the cinematography that went into it as well the set design the production everything is just glorious in that film and it's one of those things that this should be a Christmas classic and but it isn't and I think I think there's two things that that two factors in it and one of them is time it's it's gonna it's gotta be one of those things that keep going over and over and over but i think also the stream that it's on a streaming service and that the only way you can see it is on if you subscribe to that streaming service is also a big hindrance to the creation of its classic nature I don't know. yes
1: I think that's the the hindrance overall is that, you know, streaming is, is all about access and convenience and, you know, uh, you know, pay as you play or whatever it is, <laughs> right? Like all of the things, but it also um, in a way eliminates what makes a movie special, yeah. you know, beca- be- at least the way we experienced it growing up where we, you know, had to have a buck, had to go to the movie theater, had to go up to the box office, had to get a ticket. You know, that entire thing is what made it special, that made it linger, that made the movie going, stick with us. And then next year you get to watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer again, you know? (laughs) And and so it's like, um, now if I, when I'm done with you, I can go watch Jingle Jangle right now, (laughs) you know? So it's convenient. But
0: it's also, yeah. yeah. But uh, what I'm also what I'm saying, you have like on TNT and TBS, they'll play that Christmas story movie over and over 24 hours. You'll see Elf on this channel and that channel and this channel and that channel. You'll see it in lots of places. I just want. I I just wish Netflix would just let ABC play it one time, so so other people could see it and yeah. say, yeah, this is a great film and can be a classic.
1: That's true. It's also exclusive to that streamer because they produced it. That's true too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and 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 in a way, like you're saying, that's different because the old studios they would come out with their movie in the theater, but then their networks that they also own would play them throughout
0: yeah yeah throughout the season yeah so all right so um last question i have for you and i think you've already given us a little bit of the question the answer already but what films are going to be our christmas classics in the cook household will be playing when christmas rolls around this year
1: Yep. So Jingle Jangle, definitely. My daughters absolutely love it. Um, And they're grown up now and they're still like, hey, mama, (laughs) you want to play? And I'm like, yeah, let's watch it. Always be your babies. (laughs) (laughs) Always be my babies. And then honestly, um, the classics that I grew up with, I still try to catch at least one or two of them a year. Um, Like, it's a wonderful life. Make sure that my kids are exposed to that old school storytelling. Mm. Um, but then also, Christmas Chronicles with Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. Yeah. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was so rock and roll. I, yes. I thought it was, yes. It, I was like, when well, he was rocking it out in the jailhouse. I was like, okay now, you know? Okay, and, okay. <laughs> so I, this is one that I go back to, not a sequel. We're not gonna talk about that no. one. About <laughs> but I like the Christmas Chronicles and and it's one that I, I rather enjoy that I, every year I talk about and again, I've stuck on a a romance, the princess romance Christmas movie. So, Princess Switch, (laughs) anything Hallmark, I'm in.
0: Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) I I can't hate on it because, I mean, that's the same thing that's happening in my household. You know, got to have, it's a wonderful life. Jingle jangle. Um, Elf. Elf for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. So,
1: Yeah, those modern classics. I guess I would turn that question to you. Elf, Home Alone, Die Hard, Batman Returns. Which one is your favorite? Which one do you keep going
0: back to? Oh, well, anybody who knows me knows that I have a special affinity for It's a Wonderful Life. I can't go, I can't not go at least one Christmas without watching it twice. So it'll be there. Elf will be there. Uh, and and Jingle Jangle, and like I said, it's, it's one of my favorite ones in the new classic realm. And so I, I have to get that one in there, too. Um, yeah. As far as guilty pleasures go, I love The Muppet's Christmas Carol. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know <laughs> I, I got to watch that one.
1: <laughs> you're right. You're right. I mean, like A Christmas Carol, I mean, that's the quintessential Christmas movie. I go with Scrooged.
0: Oh, great film. Yeah. Friend. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, Lenita, for coming in and enduring all the, the that that is me instead of, you know, whomever. Uh, <laughs> I think I've had a good time.
1: I always have a great time with you, Charles. It is one of my favorite things to do is to come visit and hang out and talk to you. I think you have a brilliant mind,
0: and I love talking movies with you. Stop. all right thanks hon you have a wonderful time i know you're getting ready to get on a plane be safe and we'll see you around thank you happy holidays happy holidays all right and that is the brilliant and wonderful manita cook from kansas city and i'm just so happy that she was able to join us um all right first review will be Candy Cane Lane. Candy Cane Lane is about a man who is determined to win the neighborhood's annual Christmas decorating contest. Unwittingly, he makes a pact with an elf who will help him win, and the elf casts a spell that brings the 12 days of Christmas to life, which brings unexpected chaos to town. Candy Cane Lane is directed by Rachel Hudlin. Written by Kelly Younger and stars Eddie Murphy, Tracy Ellis Ross, Jillian Bell. Um, it can be seen on um, Amazon Prime. And let's talk about Candy King Lane for a minute. It, it, you know, uh, Eddie Murphy, this is his first Christmas movie. Now he's done movies set in during Christmas time, but this is the actual, the first actual movie that he's done where Christmas is the focus. Um, and I would say that when I saw the trailer for this film, I thought it was going to be very, 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 very sad for Eddie Murphy. But I was surprised in that it was actually quite entertaining. I mean, it, I mean, it, it, we're not looking at the highest of a cinema here, and he's not going to win an Oscar for doing this role. But it is one of those things that he's creating an atmosphere with with Tracy Ellis Ross of uh, you know, it's kind of like the Santa Claus meets um 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 what was the Sinbad movie that he that he did with uh Schwarzenegger uh anyway um it, I'm blanking out at the moment but um where it's an adventure he's trying to save the spirit of Christmas and you know it, it really is cute and you know I I I I enjoyed the movie quite a lot Because I think that I had low expectations going into it, but it's nowhere near any of the classics like we mentioned Jingle Jangle or Elf or It's a Wonderful Life or or whatever. But I mean, it's entertaining. So you can you can get by with it. Uh, The next film on that in that same vein is Dashing Through the Snow, which is on Disney Plus and Hulu. Uh, It's about a separated social worker who takes his daughter on a ride-along with him on Christmas Eve. And I say ride along because it's directed by the Tim story who also did the movie ride along. It stars little rail, howry ludicrous and Madison sky, Validium. So again, here we have a, a story and this one little rail, howry is Santa Claus or supposed to be. And ludicrous has this, he's one of the non-believers in, in Christmas. And so, it's all about recapturing the belief in what Christmas is. And so the the uh, Madison Sky is really great as the foil to Ludacris and and making him taking him on this journey of re-belief in what Christmas is and what it's about. Uh, again, it's not an, a perfect film. But it is entertaining for what it does. And, you know, it's something that your families, especially those who are younger, can enjoy. So it's Disney. So, you know, Disney puts their little special touch on it. So it 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 is what it is. It's nothing that's going to say, I, I have to make this a classic that I watch. But it, once you watch it, you'll enjoy it and you can move on to the next thing. Go back to Hallmark Channel. All right. Lastly, I want to talk about a film that's coming to theaters this week, and that is Wonka. Wonka is, oh, starring Timothy Chalamet, is the is a dramatic foreshadow of the life of Willy Wonka that many of us know from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Roald Dahl's famous book. Um Chalamet is actually pretty good in this film in channeling uh, the late, great Gene Wilder. I believe that he actually, at times, I really think that he could actually be the younger Gene Wilder, and it it works really well. Unlike uh, some of the other things that he's done, he sings in this film. And we come, we become exposed to what Timothy Chalamet is not really great at. So he, I mean, he's passable, but he's not a great singer. A lot of people would think of him in the same vein as uh, Emma Stone and La La. She's not a singer. He's not a singer. But everything else is fun. So it's it's magical. I wish we had more Hugh Grant in the film, who plays Oompa Loompa. Um, so it, it works. So uh, it's entertaining. It's it's musical. It's hilarious. You got Keegan-Michael Key, Olivia Colman, who I love to death. And Chalamet is really good at portraying this magical guy, Willy Wonka. So uh, this is in theaters now. I would I would give it on a scale of five. I'd give it a three plus three and a half. So check out Wonka. You You might enjoy it. All right. As we always say, as we roll out, see something out there that's great and uh, we'll see you next time.